Not without adversity, but the Endless Promo Podcast is back. We had to deal with a little bit of an interruption in the power grid, thanks to uh, the great American who clearly dropped the ball on that one. Um, but we, we are, we're back online, power has been restored, and we're about to bring the power to the people on another Friday. Kevin, how are you, sir? doing well i'm actually even more amped up than i was uh before you told me that it was a transformer explosion that caused it and i just figured like i don't know did did optimus deal like you know the death blow to starscream or something because that's pretty awesome i'm glad that happened backyard that must have made your weekend already yeah with guys like us nerd alert the minute you hear transformer explosion all other thoughts Stop and transformer start. Transformer thoughts begin. So, Kevin, I give you one hundred percent of the credit for today's topic because this was one that you you asked about early on in our podcasting relationship, and we shelved it for a little bit because we had some other things we wanted to talk about. But, folks, today's topic is one that Kevin and I have written several books on over the years this it's not just it is going to be hard to keep it to the 60 minute limit that uh spotify for podcasters allots for its uh free memberships but we we have discussed this at many a uh kevin watts home man cave events we have discussed this topic Many times at the Dearborn Racket and Health Club, we have discussed this many times, whilst walking around in the neighborhoods of Dearborn. Kevin and I like shows, movies, musica. We just like it all. And some of the best shows, some of the best movies, some of the best albums, they stand the test of time. And that's what we're going to be talking about on today's podcast. We're going to pick each of us a show, a movie, and an album that stand the test of time. Kevin, have I summarized it somewhat succinctly? Yeah, I think um, just to add a little extra flavor to it, it's imagine if this movie this show, this album, were to drop today, June 23rd, 2023, would it still be huge today like it was then? And our selections this uh, afternoon, in our estimation, would in fact be so huge. That's a great way of summarizing it in less than the five minutes it took me to summarize it. Thank you, Kevin. Um, so so the, the first one for me, I'm, I'm going to go show... Um, going to do a, a, a very shameless shout out to literally probably, if not the, at least in the top two super fans of the Endless Promo Podcast, RT, my buddy Rick Trombley, shout out to Rick Trombley, um, who was dying from the Instagram post about like, what do these clues mean? Um, my show, if you have not checked us out on Instagram yet, Endless Promo Podcast on Instagram, my show is Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. 
So often shortened as BTAS, uh, it's an animated uh, DC series about the aforementioned Batman, developed by Bruce Timm. Bruce Timm also worked on uh, He-Man, which is as close to a religion for me as my actual religion. So, so Bruce Timm uh, came with a lot of cachet into this this series. It was on from like 92 to 95, 85 episodes, part of that Fox Kids block that was just absolute magic sauce. X-Men, Power Rangers, Batman the Animated Series. It was mom working at ACO, putting a crock pot full of Gordon Food Service ravioli on the counter, me rushing my soft body home from St. Sebastian grade school to get home to catch Batman the Animated Series on the regular 92 to 95. I was obsessed. Um, if you haven't discerned or listened to uh, the the Batman, Who's Your Batman episode that Kevin and I did a, a few short weeks ago, um, everybody knows Keaton's my Batman. And wouldn't you know, BK have it your way, that a lot of the inspiration for the characters, uh, the artwork, the stories in Batman the Animated Series came from the Batman and uh, Batman Returns. So, yeah. yep. Um, the series, you know, it was, looking back on it, um, very dark, very mature, uh, a lot of complexity in the episodes. Uh, it won a ton of like daytime Emmy Awards. Um, it, it won a primetime Emmy Award for outstanding animated programming. It spawned a ton of extra animated series, feature films, comic books. In fact, one of my favorite comics that I have in my uh, nerd chest, in my man room, is uh, it's from episode three or four. It's episode four, I believe, of the first season uh, with Man Bat. So it's got Batman kind of like bulldog choking Man Bat <laughs> as he's flying through the, 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 the city of Gotham. Um, the... the the most notable voices in this show are some pretty big ones. If you've never listened to or um, or watched any type of Batman stuff, then you need to go to this animated series, if not for anything, for Mark Hamill just absolutely blowing it out as the Joker. I mean, it's he does such an exceptional job of um, voicing the Joker. Uh, there were so many like guest spots on this show. Bob Hastings, who plays Commissioner Jordan, he's from The Poseidon Adventure, McHale's Navy, Murder, She Wrote, General Hospital, Dukes of Hazzard, uh, John Glover, who's in Shazam!, and uh, was on the Smallville cast. He's the Riddler. Ron Perlman was Clayface. Ah, uh, yeah. And then Ed Asner plays this Roland Daggett, so like this uh, industry rival of Bruce Wayne. Um, the series, it actually is credited with um, the creation of Harley Quinn, who has become, she was a sidekick of the Joker in this series, 
And uh, she has now become like her own, oh my gosh, just her own universe in nerd culture. Um, the Penguin, you know, he underwent this weird uh, transition from the Penguin of like the 66 Batman to this new kind of scary Penguin that um, Danny DeVito played in uh, Batman Returns. This series just, it just, it, it's so good. 85 episodes. If you are willing to um, look past the fact that it's an animated series, I honestly, like, I've often thought about this, probably way too often thought about this, but like a live action version of this series, um, I think it would be an absolute banger um, on a streaming platform, you know, because just the, the feel of the show, it was so gritty. It was so captivating. And like I said, I mean, you don't pick up on a lot of the nuance when you're a little kid, but it is very adult themed. It's, it's extremely, extremely well done. It has brought application to a lot of ages. And if they brought it out today, I, I think it would be successful. Kevin. Yeah, a few thoughts. Uh, I mean, this was uh, a show that was outside of my demographic as far as like, you know, hustling home from school with my lunchbox clanking, trying to get there in time to watch it. But uh, I'm certainly familiar with it. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that definitely strikes me about it is that that kind of darkness that you mentioned. I love and this is even evident from the opening credits, but it, it's a recurring shot throughout the series. I love the silhouetted Batman head with the glowing eyes. Yeah. That, to me, if I could sort of think of one image to encapsulate the theme of that show, it's that one. You know, he's he's still Batman, and in fact, he's uh, kind of more of uh, the old Adam West Batman in terms of... Um, color scheme right like we're back to the gray and the blue but when you when he's out at night and he's on the prowl for the bad guys and he flashes that kind of sinister you know blank eyed glowing fiery or glare at the baddies uh you know something's about to happen and uh that that just kind of carries through his character great job with the uh the voice acting as well um certainly Batman's character, uh, blanking on his name. Kevin Conroy. Conroy, yeah. Yeah, Kevin Conroy. Uh, he was fantastic. He brought kind of a deeper version of the Keaton voice. Um, to tie in the Keaton reference, and, and we know OC, he's, he's your Batman. He is my Batman. He was also Mark Hamill's inspiration for even trying out for the Joker because he saw how uh, Keaton was originally treated uh, by fans when the idea of Keaton doing it came out. And so he was sort of like, all right, well, I'll, I'll read for the Joker part, but nobody's going to let Luke Skywalker be the Joker. And so he said, I was just totally relaxed. Then I just went out and just did my thing. And I was in the parking lot figured like, well, I'd be a great Joker, but they're never going to cast me. And boom, he got the call. Yeah. I mean, he absolutely knocks it out of the park. Um, in fact, someday we may have to do a Who's Your Joker episode. And uh, if we were to ever do that, uh, I would have to believe Mark Hamill would be on the list. Just an amazing talent. 
Uh, great show. And, um, yeah, I, the other thing about it, they carried forward the concept of uh, what we think Two-Face uh, should have looked like. And, again, should have been Billy D. Should have been Billy D. playing it in the later movies. Yeah. But, you know, it was it was a, just a, a cool, groundbreaking show that I agree. I think there's nothing about that show. It's a little bit, sometimes the pacing's a little bit slow. There's some gaps here and there, you know, in the action. But I think the show's got enough elements that resonate today and the talent still shines through. I, I agree. I think it would be big. You want to know, like, a big litmus test of how I picked my three, Kevin? Um, yeah. so as a, as a, a young Faja, which we had a Faja's episode, Faja's day episode last week, but as a young Faja, uh, I test the boys on my level of masculinity, nerd, dumb, um, entertainment, all that kind of, I test the boys. I use them as, 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 uh, test cases and you hey. sit. Oh, yeah. So you sit those two boys of mine in front of HBO Max and you throw on Batman the Animated Series. It's Silencio. They're just as captivated as I was, um, you know, being a young boy uh, watching that show. That's kind of how I that's my measuring stick for if stuff is actually relevant or not. I think that's a great point. And uh, unfortunately, that test sometimes leads to disappointment. It may lead to kids getting ridden out of wills occasionally. Yes. Uh, you know, perhaps made to live in the backyard, uh, if anywhere on the property at all. But I agree that is a great litmus test. It does lead to the occasional marital dispute as well, where it's like, Kevin, I think they're a little too young for Lone Survivor. <laughs> I'm like, hey, you know what? It's an event that happened, and these boys need to know that it's not all rainbows and sunshine. That's right. What's your show, Kev? Well, speaking of not all rainbows and sunshine, here we go. My my pick, and this was tough. I mean, it's really tough because I find that most TV shows, uh, maybe the animated route was the way to go because it, they don't suffer from the same problem necessarily. But so many TV shows are very, uh, you know, modern of the time. You know, there are a lot of elements to them, whether it's the fashion or it's, you know, the, the topical humor is sort of just in that moment. But there's something about a little show that aired on Fox Sunday nights called In Living Color between 1990 and 1994. It was, and we've, we've talked about it briefly on this show in previous episodes, but in living color was so huge and outlandish and controversial. And it, it grabbed every headline you could think of and every minute of my attention as an adolescent to see these irreverent, uh, very modern urban characters kind of, turning things on their heads week in, week out. You got to hear, you know, a, a large part of black perspective on comedy. Um, you got to see characters doing outrageous things that you had never seen really before on TV. Um, so many big names came through it. You had Jim Carrey and Damon Wayans and 
David Allen Greer and Jamie Foxx and Tommy Davidson, um, you know, guys who went on to bigger things, but who got their start there. Uh, and I'm leaving out some, I mean, most of the Wayans family was involved in some way, shape or form, but you know, there's something about the sort of fearlessness of that show. You know, they would take on anything you could think of. I mean, whether it was, you know, police brutality or like, you know, sexuality or just absurd things that, you know, were going on at the time, you know, the, the Gulf War was going on. There's hilarious commentary on like how the media covered the war, all kinds of cool things that I don't really think have a time limit on them. I think you can always find some way to relate to that. And the way that show just attacked those things week in, week out, and they were very poignant. They would make a joke out of it, but you kind of knew that there was also a message there. Um, that I don't think would be uh, out of place at all. In fact, I think maybe we need a little bit more of that today. We need the ability to see, uh, you know, something that's kind of absurd and, you know, maybe it does need to be laughed at and maybe it needs to be laughed with, you know. Um, Kevin, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And one thing that kind of strikes me from the things that you're saying is, you know, you look back on those, those topics, those controversial topics that in living color uh, spoofed and made fun of. And they're not, too different from the same topics that are controversial in 2023, right? So it's it, it, whether we all like to admit it or not, you know, there's still racial tension in the United States, right? There's still political upheaval in the United States. There's still polar opposite opinions on social issues and moral issues. And, and Living Color did a very hilarious job of just, it's almost like, I mean, South Park does it as well, where nobody is safe. But in Living Color was kind of that first um, show, in my opinion, where it's like nobody's safe. Like anybody can get the smoke in In Living Color. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, you know, it's, I, I don't mean to downplay the, the seriousness of, of issues, but I, I, and I don't think that we should just, you know, make fun of things for the sake of making fun of them and belittling people. However, I do think that there is a lot to be said for finding the humor in situations and, you know, on occasion things should be called out, but on occasion it's just nice to be able to say, you know what, we can laugh at things and have fun and then, you know, come together over that and, and understand that, you know, we're all still human beings at the end of it and nobody needs to get, you know, physically injured over a joke. Um, Kevin, humor, humor heals, man. I mean, how many times has humor healed something in your life, whether it's a close personal relationship or like a, a coworker relationship, like humor heals. And sometimes laughing at the absurdity of something shows you that maybe you don't need to be as entrenched in your opinion as you are with something. Yeah, it definitely brings out the commonality. And, and you know what? I can guarantee you that you would find today people of the generation who grew up within Living Color who have radically different political perspectives or positions on social issues or religions or races or anything. And 
so many of them would still say, I loved In Living Color. It was a great show, and it was so fun just to have a half hour to laugh at some stuff and then, you know, kind of have, even if part of it sunk in, part of it sunk in where you disagreed, part of it sunk in where you, it affirmed something you believed, the most that you got out of it at the end was you were laughing, and you were laughing with other people, and it was awesome. What does it say about the show, Kevin, that, you know, you and I are definitely, in terms of uh, society's opinion of those guys, like, we are. Like, we're middle-class, 30-, 40-year-old white dudes, and what was on in our homes as children slash adolescents that both sets of parents totally loved? In living color. In living color. So that shows you right there, like, the broad applicability of the show and how, uh, I mean, some of my fondest memories, I've, I've said this several times on the show, with The Great American, watching Martin, watching In Living Color, uh, watching Married with Children, and watching Pro Wrestling. Yep, 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 something universal about it, and I think that, uh, you know, this might be a time where we need to get some more of that, and people need to kind of get comfortable with that again. Um, I don't think that would be a bad thing, to have a little bit of that flavor back. Exceptional choice. It leads me to our album choice. Mine is, I mean, so typically, like, in the creative process, as we are, we're now creators, right, Kevin? Uh, well, we always have been, but now we have more of an official format. Okay, so, yeah. so, so as in the creative process, I spend a lot of time doing what I typically do with any decision I make in my life, discerning on minute details when, in actuality... The answer is right in front of my face. I was trying to figure out like what album what album would hold up today considering just how different music is from the music you and I grew up with, right? I mean it, it's you hear some of the little you know, you hear some of the Lil Uzi and uh uh Bebe and some of these gals that are coming out with their shrieking songs, the music my kids listen to, yeah, it's pretty different from the stuff you and I listen to. <laughs> but one thing that I know, and this may be male-centric, so I apologize to our lady listeners, because we do know about 87% of our audience is female. Um, you sit, your boys down in the in the minivan and you're driving them to t-ball and you throw on metallica also known as the black album 1991 you throw that on somebody's getting teed off on in that t-ball game your five-year-old is about to go 10 shades of ham on somebody at their t-ball game if you throw on an hour and three minute long album 12 tracks from the boys of metallica the black album kevin oh man it's funny that uh this is all very timely because uh one of my faja's day gifts from my adoring family uh was a little black circle to spin on my record player that my boy jeff andrews found at a garage sale 
and you need to find records to actually play for it. And one of the first that I received was none other than the Black Album. Oh, so good. And I'll tell you what, man, I spun that thing on Father's Day, hanging out in the man cave, chilling, had the Black Album cranking. Sounded pretty doggone good today. Kevin, it really did. Kevin, enter Sandman. Sad but true. Holier than thou, the unforgiven. Wherever I may roam, don't tread on me. Through the never, nothing else matters. A wolf and man, the God that failed, my friend of misery, the struggle within. And if you were in Japan, there was a 13th track that we won't talk about. But 12 tracks, an hour, three minutes, 21 seconds. I have watched my own facial hair which I do not have much of, grow as I've listened to this album. I have seen veins start in my skin from the amount of testosterone that is produced when you listen to this album. I have wanted to run through a brick wall and have after listening to this album. I have played a sport to a successful level that I never thought I could after listening to this album. I have taken on giants after listening to this album. This album is, in my opinion, as applicable today as it was when it was released. And all you have to do, again, throw this on in a high school locker room, a high school football locker room. Throw this on as a team's running out on the basketball court. Throw this on, like I said, as you're driving your six-year-old to T-ball. It's about to be on. Yeah, I think uh, it, the record should reflect, and I know that I am the resident music snob of uh, the Elfless promo. This is not my number one Metallica album. That's fine. Okay. That's fine. But... Knowing the parameters of our topic, I think it is an excellent choice. I think it is the most universally appealing of all the Metallica records, which is saying something. I, I think it also says something that, was it last fall? They had the entire like double cover album where artists of like every genre there is covered songs from the Black Album. Yeah. Uh, it's still very relevant. It's still very timely. Um, it's still played on any given day in any given stadium. You're going to hear it. Um, I think that it would be huge today as well. You know, what's funny, Kevin, is we send our team out to do most of our research. Um, and one of our interns came back with some research. I almost couldn't believe this. And I had to like double check it. Up until 2016, now mind you, this was released in 1991, up until 2016, this album never sold less than a thousand copies a week. Uh, I'll, I'll put it in a even further perspective. It is, according to the sticker on the front of the vinyl that I just got, it is the best-selling album of the last 30 years. I could see that. I could see that. So, you know, uh, there's plenty to be said for 
the boys in black. The generational impact, too. So, I mean, my dad is... I won't reveal his age. He's older than I am, just <laughs> just by science, right? You know what I mean? And my first exposure to this this album was getting into his terribly undersized Ford Escort and him popping in a tape, again, from Dearborn Music, the only place to purchase tapes back in the day, yeah. popping in a tape. And him being like, hey, Kevin, uh, why don't we listen to this on the way to hockey? And Enter Sandman starts. And you're just like, what is this? Like, like, what is this? And then Enter Sandman leads into Sad But True. And now you're thinking, okay, okay, someone may die in my hockey game tonight. You know, mind you, I'm like five or six years old, right? It's like the, the the album, my dad can rock to it. Your dad can rock to it. We rock to it. When I'm taking the big J-O-H-N to wrestling, dad, can we listen to Metallica? Absolutely, son. And by the way, here's some money because I love you. <laughs> but enough about Metallica. Kevin, your album, get to it, my man. There's never enough about Metallica, but given our parameters and time limit, uh, I'm going to go with, this was another really tough one, and uh, I actually thought of maybe doing Injustice for All by Metallica. That would be so bad. <laughs> There's something about this generation that I really, really tried to keep in mind. Um, number one, rapping hip-hop are king. Yep. And number two, uh, the the kids these days have zero attention span. So I tried to think of combining those two uh, realities, and they came together to form my choice. My choice is the follow-up album, to their self-titled 1993 release, Rage Against the Machines, Evil Empire from 1996. Rage! Uh, first one, sorry, was 92, not 93. But the second album, some will say, was not as epic as the first, and I'm really not here to debate that. Uh but it certainly carries with it its fair share of credentials. It debuted number one on the Billboard charts when it came out in April of 96. I bought it that day. I distinctly remember when it came out. It was highly anticipated because, you know, we've been rocking that debut record basically from the day you got it until the day the second album came out. So it's like three years of playing this thing it never left your six disc changer um and finally we got a follow-up and you know immediately shot to number one it went on to sell multiple 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 platinum millions of records um it, interestingly it actually uh tire me what uh, the single uh won the grammy for best metal performance 
but Bulls on Parade and People of the Sun, also singles, were nominated for Best Hard Rock Performance. Hmm. So kind of interesting that the same band, same record, gets nominated in two categories. Kind of cool. But Rage Against the Machine, for anybody who somehow does not know, uh, they were not the first band to combine rap and rock. Uh, But unlike Aerosmith and Run DMC or like Anthrax and Public Enemy, both of whom did it well, but they did it as more of a one-off. Rage Against the Machine, that was their identity. They were bringing kind of the the uh, authoritative, uh, hard-edged, political-leaning hip-hop of like Chuck D from Public Enemy and combining it with this like slamming, grooving, Black Sabbath riffy, but more like bouncy uh, metal or hard rock. Um, just a just killer combination. That sound was so unlike anything else that anybody had done. And to be fair, to be fair, most bands, there have been a few who've tried to imitate it. Most don't even bother. Like, it's just too unique. They just have completely covered that waterfront. And so I don't think there will ever be another band that sounds like that. And, you know, I think because of that, you know, the rhymes are sophisticated. They still flow really well. Um, the effects that Tom Morello used in his guitar playing outside of just his big riffs are totally unique. You know, they're not some of the moment like, hey, this new guitar pedal came out, so I'm going to use it for this record. It, it was all him. There's no way to date this stuff. It just sounds really fresh and it's still got that the, you go back and listen to it man I mean it just still grooves and bounces it's just something I think that even the kids today musically would latch on to and um, I think because the songs tend to be shorter um, the debut most of the songs actually were like in the five minute plus range um, and this one's a bit shorter you're talking more like the four minute range I think that would that would still capture the attention of a generation who gets bored, like in the middle of a 15 second TikTok video. So Kevin, um, go, go to, you know, you're kind of, you're answering your own question, but like go to a hockey game and what do you hear? Like in between face-offs bulls on parade. Yep. Right. Or like go to a football game and I don't care if you're watching a high school team in Marshall, Michigan, chances are they might have a Rage Against the Machine song on while they're doing warm-ups. Yeah. Highly likely. Highly likely. It's, um, it's, so, in 1996, obviously, um, a lot of the actual messaging in their music flying right over my dome. (laughs) Right? But the... The music, man, the grit, like the nastiness of Rage Against the Machine. I don't care if you're going out to cut the lawn or if you're about to go to hockey, you know, or you're about to go to school or whatever. It just something about that, that music that Rage created, like you said, like nothing you'd ever heard before. And, and to this day, I mean, 
there are yeah you know you have like the lincoln parks of the world right and but nobody nobody does it like rage no nobody did then and nobody will again i think for anybody who either is clamoring for that uh, return of something like that or who maybe doesn't even realize it is out there i think if you drop that right now fresh i think people would eat it up yeah it's so we are now at an age where kids wear band shirts that we love to be ironic um case in point the young gal that i saw in metro airport uh on our last family vacation who had a master of puppets t-shirt on and it was like bundled up to expose her navel and stephanie was like please don't go ask her what her favorite metallica song is because old man kevin stay off my lawn guy wanted so bad to be like hey quick uh top three metallica songs um yeah Rage, to show you how over they are, or could be, I see kids wearing Rage Against the Machine shirts. And I wonder often, like, have you ever let that slap? Like, have you ever turned that on, on your little iPhone, in your brand new fancy 2023 earbuds, and just let that heat your brain? Yeah, well, if they haven't, they need to. And if they do, they'll love that they did. Excellent choice. Let's move to movies. I'm going to move to my movie just by starting with some quotes. And if you can't guess these, I'm going to hit end. (laughs) And we're not going to have the podcast anymore. (laughs) So, so I'm putting the pressure on. You killing me, Smalls. He had kissed a woman. And he had kissed her long and good. Everybody gets one chance to do something great. Most people never take that chance. Heroes get remembered. The legends never die. Never die. Forever. Forever. Man, this is baseball. You gotta stop thinking. Talking about 1993 sports comedy starring a bunch of crazy little kids, Dennis Leary, James Earl Jones, who, in my humble opinion, steals the movie at the end. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant touch. $34 million worldwide cult film set in the summer of 62 called The Sandlot. Kevin, give me your thoughts on The Sandlot. You know, it's one of those great movies that I've had a chance to like from two different perspectives now. We are the same brain. Yeah. Stop talking. We, we have the same brain. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I, 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 as a kid, liked it as a kid. Got to see some baseball, got to hear some funny jokes. I got to, you know, see see my boy James Earl Jones. Dennis Leary, when it came out, was kind of like, wow, they put this guy in a family movie? As the dad, right? Yeah. The same guy that my parents would be like, Kevin, turn that off the TV. Yeah, yeah. Um, I 
it as a kid. And then it just kept being a thing. So by the time I had my own kids, I don't even know if I had to like, you know, sometimes I have to like sit my kids down and be like, we're watching this It's family movie night and you're going to like it. I don't think I had to do that. I think maybe they even already knew about it and like, they just watch it. Same thing on my side, Kevin, they had a, uh, they had an after school event at my kids, my, my two older kids. Um, they had an after school event. It was like you could go, you, you paid a, a fee, you know, it was for charity. And they put a big screen in the gym and they sold popcorn and snacks. And you took a, uh, a sleeping bag and pillows and stuff. And lo and behold, it was a sandlot. That was the movie they're playing. So in 2023, at my kids' little school, they're doing this school-wide event. Now, mind you, these kids are kindergarten to fifth grade. And the movie, out of all the movies in the world that have been made since this movie, this event in May, which is kind of like leading into them being out of school in June, it was a Sandlot. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. You're... I say we have the same brain because we do have the same brain, but your takeaway is the same as mine, where, again, to the, to the test of time, there's a certain level of appreciation you have for movies like this when you're trying to raise your own kids. You know, when you watch this movie and you, you really see how wholesome it is, and even some of the... I know you smacked me in the face with laughter at how subdued and, uh, I guess, uncontroversial I've become as an old man. But the fact that there's like no cursing in this movie, you know, there's nothing super um, offensive. Like the jokes, the humor that is in this movie, it is the petty humor you have when you're nine years old. Right. It's 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 so cool to see this movie from the 40,000 foot view of I remember how I felt when I watched it. I remember my key takeaways when I watched it. And then you watch it with your kids and it's just this entire different feeling that is super cool. So you're saying Danny Tanner would love it. Oh, wow. With the Danny Tanner shot. Okay. So we're going there, right? So I just, Kevin, it's so cool to watch it. And like you said, I do a lot of that myself with the whole, like, sit your kids down. God, I hope they like this. God, I hope they like this. God, you, you don't, this movie's not, no, Mighty Ducks isn't. Okay. Okay. Mighty Ducks was a pretty huge part of my life, but it's okay that you guys don't like it. Um, Sandlot, I mean, a bunch of kids playing after school, schoolyard, unorganized baseball. They hit a ball over a fence. There's a quote unquote monster behind the fence, which just turns out to be uh, one of their city's upstanding citizens, Bull Mastiff. So then instead of just going around the fence and knocking on the door and asking if they can get the ball out of the yard, they go through an entire movie of trying to get the ball out of the yard by like any means necessary. There's no way as a kid, like you're not knocking on that door. 
Oh my gosh, man. It's like you look back and that's one of the stylistic points of the movie where you see the perspective of a kid who's that age building up this conspiracy and this fear and all that stuff. It's like as an adult, you're like, hey, guys, why don't you just go ask the neighbor if he can get the ball out of the yard, out of the yard. You know what I mean? So the movie is excellent. It's got such a, a great message. It's got so many fun moments. I mean, one of the quotes I just use is from, you know, the scene where uh where Squints fakes drowning in a pool so he can kiss the lifeguard. You know what I mean? Wendy oh, Wendy Peppercorn, you smoke show. Um I, I just love I love the entire movie and I wanted to read something um I wanted to read just a, a review from critic Roger Ebert. And I had never read this, and it made me completely understand why I liked this movie so much. He said, uh, he gave the film three stars. And he said, this is basically the summertime version of A Christmas Story. Right? And I was like, well, in my Christmas movie rankings, which this year we will do a Christmas movie bracket, um, A Christmas Story is its top three. Yeah, that's and that's a that's a really good description. I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm gonna let you have the last laugh. One really quick thing though. Sure. The one thing that might you'd think have detracted from this movie coming out in modern times is the lack of female representation. Um in fact, I'm pretty sure if a girl had been in their little group, they would have just knocked on the door and the movie would have been like, you know, a half hour. But my daughter still loves it, so I guess it doesn't matter. Kevin, they, Kira came home. Now, mind you, we had already put Kira in T-ball. And Kira came home from movie night and asked us if she could play baseball. She didn't care at all about t-ball to the point that she had forgotten about playing t-ball <laughs> but the sandlot ignited in her a request to play baseball this summer so that's, yeah, yeah pretty fun let her rock it out i love it so my choice to wrap things up on our show today it, this was another really tough one so again i tried to think of uh, choices that would not immediately feel like they were too of the era in which they were made. And uh, Sandlot was a wise choice because it was already set in a different time period. Um, I went a similar route, but maybe a little less drastic as far as uh, the, the time in which it was set. My choice, the kids today would know as the prequel to Fat Thor from the Avengers Endgame. I'm talking about none other than 1998's Coen Brothers classic, The Big Lebowski. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't know where you were going with it right away. So, if you'll recall Thor, when he allows himself to kind of get out of shape. Out of hero shape. Yeah, dons the bathrobe and the beard and the sunglasses. That's the dude from The Big Lebowski. Uh, just an absolute gem of a movie. Um, you know, it, 
it, there's nothing of the moment about it. It came out in 1998, and there's not a whole lot about 1998 that's all that, like, you know, sort of memorable in terms of uh, the way people dressed or, you know, their language or anything else. But this movie was actually set in 1990, which is sort of odd because usually when you have, like, a period piece, it's something, like, far back. But they're like, nah, we'll just make it couple years before so uh but you know there's no special effects to speak of that would throw it off you know where the kids today would be like yeah that looks fake um it features a ton of uh stars from a critical acclaim perspective so the head uh the dude the main character jeff bridges won an oscar not for this movie but historically right you got john goodman who won an emmy Julianne Moore won an Oscar, John Turturro won an Emmy, Steve Buscemi won an Emmy, Philip Seymour Hoffman won an Oscar, Sam Elliott won a Screen Actors Guild Award. Um, all amazing character actors, but, you know, none of them were, like, movie star movie stars. Yeah, like, box office, uh, Will Smith, like, I'm thinking 98, like, you know. Exactly. They weren't, they weren't like, you know, big of-the-moment movie stars who were, like, flash in the pan, who may have, like, lost appeal over the years. Uh, well, now that I think about it, Tara Reid was in it, so, you know, maybe she was, but she had a really small part, you know, kind of like her toe. What, what appeal had, what, what, what appeal has Tara Reid lost? I mean... Um, ask Tom Brady. Um, so, nothing about it would prevent it on its face from being a hit this year but i think you know as with all coen brothers movies the big lebowski demands some level of sophistication but like the caricatures and the stereotypes are all still super familiar you know you've got like the stoner and the crazy combat veteran and like you know kind of the the hanger on you've got uh, the bowling alley denizens, just people that you could still see here in 2023 and know instantly, like, okay, what what do I generally expect from people like that? Um, I, so I think that it would still slot in nicely uh, in that, that comfort zone for people. Um, it wasn't a big hit at the time. It got sort of mixed reviews. And I kind of get that because, like, the first time I watched it, I thought it was funny. But I quickly thereafter watched it again, and it sort of became a thing. And, I mean, it just got better and better and better every time I watched it. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, it just eventually took hold as, you know, with me the same as it did with basically everybody else who's ever seen it. In fact, <laughs> I was looking through reviews in my, in my research, and several including uh, the Toronto Star and uh, Mr. Uh, Roger Ebert himself, years later actually changed their review to like call it basically like, yes, this is a classic. Uh, yes, this is arguably the Coen Brothers' best movie. I mean, it just has that, that uh, lasting sort of like, you know, insidious sort of humor that just gets under your skin and eventually you get it. Um, and it's it's become famous. I mean, it's it's in the uh, National Archives for uh, the Film Registry. The Library of Congress put it in there in 2014. 
it has not one OC, but two species of African spiders named after characters from this movie and a coniferous tree. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, all kinds of street cred with this thing. Um, but I think it would be huge now because I think it's time. You know, we're not so far removed from, you know, the late 90s. Uh, we can sort of remember how uniquely satisfying it was and to kind of feel like, you know, I get it. This movie, it was subtle and it was sort of sophisticated, but yet you still had a dude like smash up a Corvette with his golf club. So it was only as subtle as that at times. But there's something really satisfying when like it, it's this understated sort of humor um, and it, it just burrows into your brain and it like forces you to rewatch it until you're eventually quoting the entire movie. I think we've lost that in some ways, and I don't want to take away from, you know, kind of the more over-the-top slapstick humor that we've seen since then, or like the big, you know, like Marvel-style movies, but I think we've become just starved enough to return to movies like this, where we can experience that again, and, you know, like universally embrace that kind of humor that makes you maybe feel smarter than you are because you get it. Um, there's something about that that is just really timeless and yet would be really timely if we were to experience that again today in 2023. It's an excellent point, Kevin. Um, so much of the comedy now is just like this verbal running river where they think – to be funny, you just need to constantly pile on jokes versus movies like The Big Lebowski and a few others from our generation where you had to sit there and deal with pacing, timing, and actually think through what's being done in the joke or in the situation to find it comical. So many of the movies, the great movies from our era, you didn't laugh right away. You laughed a week later when you were talking to your buddy about the movie you went to see in the theater and there was that one part and you both kind of get it at the same time and then you laugh, which causes you to go back and watch it again. You know, it's yeah. I look at what is passed off as humor now in comedies and it's just how many jokes can we fit into 82 minutes? Yeah, yeah, there, there's a... It's not that a movie like The Big Lebowski has breathing space in terms of, like, it takes a break from the comedy. It just doesn't constantly hit you over the head with it. You, It's the sort of movie that's so insidiously funny that you don't realize you've been laughing for two straight hours. Yeah. Uh, it's just magical like that and I, I think it's possible to do that again and I think people would like that again but you know when this came out it, it came out at very similar time frame as remember uh, there's something about Mary yeah yeah funny movie like you know it was very big at the time but as funny as it was and as big as it was it hasn't aged as well 
people don't really talk about it as much, yet the Big Lebowski has two spiders and a tree named after it, and it's, you know, in the National Archives, and it's not, it's still in commercials and stuff. Fair so point. There's, there's something about that enduring quality um, that I think you can only get when a movie has that degree of subtle sophistication. Um, and I really think people would like that again. I really do. And make no mistake, this movie's not just some artsy, like, you know, snotty, snooty sort of film that just happens to be funny sometimes. It is hilarious. Let's laugh out loud hilarious. It's just going to make you laugh in ways and for reasons different maybe than from what you're used to. Yeah, Kevin, I mean, to wrap it up, put a bow on it. Uh, it's your opinion, so it is a fact. Correct. So I think we've done the world a service today by adding at least three ideas from each of us, so we're a total of six, if my math is correct, of things you may want to think about looking at, listening to, watching, if you're looking for a change from what you're used to seeing in 2023, right? So maybe something that's a little bit of a throwback to guys like us, but definitely has relevance in today's world. Um, If you like the episode... Share it with your friends. We are on Apple Podcasts now. We're on, we're still on Spotify. Spotify, you can you can leave comments for us in the Q and A. Uh, Apple, you can actually go through the process of leaving a rating, which is super awesome. Uh, we try to get to the thousands of comments that we receive, uh, and we try to even respond to some of the little people that we don't want to forget that take the time out to listen to our podcast. But. Uh, It was a fun one. We'll be at you next week. We'll try to get you something fun to laugh at, burn your lunch hour with, or while you're waiting for your kids to get get out of their friend's house, or while you're sitting in the parking lot at t-ball practice. That's what this whole thing's all about. So, even better, listen to it while you should be watching your kid at t-ball because we all know how boring t-ball is. Sorry. Well, t-ball's not boring if you let them watch the Sandlot and then make them listen to the Black Album before they go to t-ball. turn into coach's pitch real quick (laughs) all right kev i'm done with you all right brother talk to you next time bye-bye